revolutionary talk for revolutionary times. Promoting peace, liberty, and prosperity around the clock. LibertyTalk.fm. Good morning, and welcome to Medicine on Call. I have one of my favorite guests on today, Dr. Marilyn Singleton. She's a board-certified anesthesiologist. She's the president-elect of the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons. She graduated from Stanford and earned her MD at UCSF Medical School. She completed two years of residency at UCSF, then her anesthesia residency at Harvard, Harvard's Beth Israel Hospital. While still working in the hospital, I'm sorry, in the operating room, she attended UC Berkeley Law School. So this is somebody who understands medicine and the law, which at this point seems to be mutually exclusive, <laughs> honestly. Um, I think with, with the fall elections coming and the onslaught of medical news and the changes that have so far been made by the Trump administration, I wanted to have Dr. Singleton on again so that she can give us an update and tell us about the trends that's going on. And the first thing I want to start off with, Dr. Singleton, is the article that stated that 70% of Americans are in favor of single payer. What do you think about that? One of the things that's been shown about that number, and this is over about the last four years when people have seriously started doing surveys, and this is a range of survey takers, Price Waterhouse, AP, uh, Kaiser Family uh, Foundation, that people will say they're for single payer, but then when the next question is, this will mean your taxes will have to be raised, suddenly, no, they don't want it. So it's fascinating how free stuff sounds good until it's made clear that free couldn't possibly be free. <laughs> but this is, this is a political issue where you make something sound so attractive and even um, the congressional universal, or what is it called, Medicare for All Healthcare Bill, the one that's put out by Congress, not Bernie Sanders in the Senate, does not put a single number in there. The only number that's in there is that the top 5% of earners will have an increase in taxes. It doesn't say how much. It says there will be an excise tax. It, it says a modest, a slight, a small for all the taxes, a, a minimal <laughs> increase in payroll tax. Well, what do those words mean? Mm -hmm. Nothing. And how can you even put forth a law that doesn't give any specifics? So if you tell anyone something with no specifics in it, of course it sounds good. As soon as you have to start planting some numbers in there, no one would be for it. It sounds like Obamacare. You have to pass it to find out what's in it. That's exactly right, and in this case, you'd have to pass it, write the regulations for it, because at least with Obamacare, they had in the law the amount of the penalty, the income you had to make in order to get subsidies. You know, there were some actual real numbers there, so 
someone might guess. Nobody read what they were, but at least they were there in the law. Well, also, the, the fact that you're signing, you're giving them a blank checkbook. How, you know, what could go wrong there with Congress, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We've only seen this and, story before. And, and that's the thing that's so scary, is you look at something, and people don't realize this, and you said it exactly right. All that law is a, is a blank check. And, uh, and we all know what happens with blank checks. <laughs> yeah, we do. And the whole concept that, oh, only the people who make a lot of money will have to pay. Well, that's been one of the worst things that anybody could ever think, because guess what? The definition of who makes a lot of money just keeps on changing. If they make it sound attractive, only the top 5%, then it's going to be 7%, then 10%, yep. then 12 And so no one will really escape. And, of course, with an increase in payroll taxes, no one does escape. Even poor people have to pay more if they have a job because that'll be less that they get in their paycheck. That's an excellent point. And that's what goes on anyway. The people in the top 5% find some sort of loophole, some sort of shelter. They end up not paying at all, just like the tax situation now. It's the middle of the society, the middle class, the working class that bear the brunt, always. I don't know why people keep falling for this this okey-doke 24-7. I'm done paying taxes, you know, more taxes. As a small business, we're double taxed. So, you know. That's right. It, it well, and the sense. worst of it is, it it it, it really it, it talk about the opiate of the people that blaming others and and getting jealousy and envy and oh yeah those rich people well if being rich is so bad then why do people join the lottery and play and try <laughs> to get more money it's obviously everyone would like to have more money and have a better lifestyle. But jealousy of those that have it isn't going to get it for you. And the government knows that. But they know that jealousy is a strong driver. And especially, I just think it's telling that that's the only number, literally the only number in the entire bill is the top 5% earners will get taxed. And that just flashed out at me that, okay, you get the jealousy going. And get to people. Yeah, I'll stick it to them. Mm-hmm. You're sticking Meanwhile. it to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, let's even say, for argument's sake, that they could tax just the corporations, the big, the big players in our economy. You're still going to get nailed in terms of the health care. So you're not going to get anything for free. We're seeing a transition. I'm sure you can you can speak to this of the healthcare system from physicians to allied healthcare professionals to corporate driven healthcare. What are they calling it now? Uh, there's some sort of some sort of tagline for Walmart and CVS and, and their minute clinics. Oh, retail medicine. Retail. That's a new one. I mean, <laughs> it's crap. Let's be honest. I can't tell you how many people have come to my office who've gone to these retail medical places and they're not diagnosed correctly, they're sicker, they put them on, now instead of putting them on antibiotics, now they're putting them on steroids. What could go oh. wrong there? Oh my goodness. It's, it's fascinating to me because one of my friends who's in primary care just was appalled at how many patients 
came back to her and, and she says, well, what'd they do for you? Oh, they gave me a, a pack of antibiotics and I moved on. And then they wonder why there's so much antibiotic resistance. Mm-hmm. And so I guess then now there's the shift, oh, well, let's get steroids instead of antibiotics. <laughs> and we're, we're going to have a lot of hip problems and a whole lot of other things yeah. from overuse of steroids. Or just imagine the, the extrapolation of that. Someone doesn't know they're a diabetic. They take their Medrol dose pack and they end up in ketoacidosis in the ICU. You know, it's not like a benign thing. Any medicine that we give a patient is a controlled poison, in my opinion. You have to have a good reason to give a medication, and you have to know, really know what the side effects are. The patient is on another medicine. You have to know what the potential interactions are. This is There is no thought in these, dispensa- in these dispensers is really what they become. And do you not think that this is a, res- um, a conflict of interest? What happened to Stark Law? You get to self-refer from your CVS clinic to your pharmacy and make big bank on these people and buy Cokes and whatever they're buying. There's no problem with that? Well, of course there's not. <laughs> My goodness, Dr. George. <laughs> What's wrong with me? I... <laughs> CVS has a bigger lobbyist than you do. Come on. I got zero. Let's get real here. <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, it's up. So who, how do we fix this situation? That's a huge question. But if you had to control this, if you could step in and make some changes, what's the first thing that you think you could do to stop this train from running? Stop the influence in Congress that, sadly, when I review these laws and go back to OpenSecrets.org, which is a great website for anyone listening if you want to check up on your congressperson, see who they get money from. And these laws track the money. They absolutely track the money. Who paid them to pass X, Y, or Z law? And it's a shame because they were elected to help us. Mm-hmm. And we don't have, we as individuals, even if there's some organization you belong to, that it's not big enough to give the same kind of money that CVS can, or their consortium, pharma, any, any of the bigger groups. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing the result of it. Look at these mergers yeah. that are occurring. Now... It seems to me, 20 years ago, the antitrust flag would have been waving high, and it wouldn't, the mergers wouldn't have even gotten as far as they have now. But now it seems like, well, we'll take a look at it, and the mergers seem to go through. Yeah, I was surprised with all of the insurance company mergers that happened a few years back, I and mean, we went from dozens to basically four. And that didn't have a good effect on the cost of of buying insurance. You know, obviously, the Congress could care less because they're, because they're insulated. They don't enter the market the way everybody else does. And That's neither, right. Neither do their employees, which, you know, it's is this is a monarchy now or some sort of royal situation where you get to pass a law that you don't have to follow? Well, of course. And it to me, it gets worse and worse, and they kind of feel that way, just even in the way you hear news people talk about it. 
so-and-so seat, you know, as though it belongs to them. Exactly. No, it's the seat of District 5 of Georgia. You know, that's mm-hmm. the seat. It's not Mr. X's seat. But that's how they begin to feel about it. Do you know that the statistic has not changed that 93% of the time incumbents are the ones that win the election? And this is even in times when people complain and say, oh, Congress doesn't do anything. Well, then why are you voting the same person back in? We, we get complacent, and the person who's already in office has such an advantage over the person running. Uh, when I ran for Congress, one of the things that really struck us, the incumbent can go to nursing homes, schools, all this stuff, mm-hmm. and basically they go there and campaign. They can do it because they just say they're doing their civic duty and visiting their constituents. But you can't go campaign in those places. So the person running against the congressman can't go to school, can't go to nursing homes, all that sort of thing. So right away, they have the exposure advantage. And they go, and this is what's really stunning, and pass out voter registration, which, again, that's a wonderful thing to do, but it already has the party written in on registration. One of my patients said, uh, (laughs) in California, they have closed primaries where you have to be within that party to vote in the primary, so people can't try Mm -hmm. to vote the worst person in, you know, and kind of manipulate the election. And she wanted to vote in for somebody in some primary, and she said, I really didn't even know what party I was. And she says, when they came around to high school, they just passed out these things. And it turned out the party was already written in there. And because she, she wanted to be in California, they call it declined to state where you don't have to be in a party. And um, so, but, of course, that wasn't the choice that was given them when they passed out these registrations. So this is how insidious it is that, so these people are supposed to be helping you, yet they aren't giving the whole picture. They're only giving their side of the picture. And we, I, and I included, we, we become fools that mm-hmm. we just listen and we don't listen with a little whole salt shaker at some of the things that are coming out of their mouth. On that note, let's take a break. You're listening to Medicine on Call. Welcome back to Medicine on Call. We're speaking with Dr. Marilyn Singleton, the president-elect of the American Association of Physicians and Surgeons. And before the break, Dr. Singleton, you were talking, you know, giving us a really good overview of the disparity. Talk about disparity and lack of diversity. Actual people who can enter the system who aren't part of the game. And you're right. It's, It's like you pass these seats on. They're talking about... Megan McCain getting the seat of her dad, you know, now that he's passed. I mean, <laughs> and Sonny Bono's wife, I think, got his seat when he passed yeah. back in the day. Yeah. What about the, the, the voters? They don't get a, a choice in this matter? I mean, the whole point of this is to be a seat for the people, as you described. It's just, it's like a fiefdom now. 
That's right. And I hope that people begin to notice this. That's all. My biggest hope for social media is kind of destructive in some ways it can be. It's sometimes the positive part is people are learning more and seeing more because nobody really reads the newspaper anymore. Mm-hmm. These days, the newspaper is, has become a giant editorial. It's very hard to get back on any specific issue that everything is an opinion without it being labeled an opinion that let, we want back so we can have our own opinion and come to our own decision. And, uh, yeah, I, I think it's terrible, but, you know, like in Arizona, as with other states, the rule is if someone passes on during office and the governor gets to appoint somebody. Mm-hmm. And But why does it have to be that person's family member? Just because you like that person. You may have never even known anything about their family member. Exactly. But it, it's sort of a, a legacy thing. Well, who says there needs to be a legacy? Get some fresh blood in there. Exactly. Uh, you know, but they don't want the fresh blood. No, I mean, they want to keep the status quo. I mean, that's where we as voters need to start paying attention and exerting. They can't be in there if we don't vote for them, right? You know, if we, and it's not about staying home anymore. You can't do that because ultimately you'll end up with the same position, which is if you're unhappy with it, if you're happy, that's one thing. But if you're unhappy with it, and if I think the approval is 9% in Congress, then everybody right. should be gone. I say vote them all out. They need to have term limits. You can't give rid of the lobbyists completely. That's, you know, representation without voting. I mean, they have more power, as you described, than you do. The, that, that little quip that you said at the beginning of the show is tragic, that I don't have the lobby money as much as, you know, the big corporations, the big healthcare corporations. They are working against doctors patients, the American society, if you want to be honest, and the economy. All they're doing is getting a largesse from the government. That's what a subsidy is, right? So if you pass Obamacare and you can subsidize them so they never take a loss, they can deny care, they can cut people out, they can call it experimental, and they still get paid by the government. There's something wrong with that equation. Yes, there is. And one of the things, when you start to think back how this is done, that, and, and it always sounds so conspiratorial until you sit down and say, yeah, that did happen. Goes back to the 90s when the Clintons wanted some sort of universal help. One of the first things Hillary Clinton started to do was vilify doctors kind of sideways. Um, oh, they never do anything for poor people and, and this type thing. Mm-hmm. Even though there were free vaccination clinic trucks going all over New York, we'll just ignore that and, and sort of planting those little seeds. And that way, yeah, they can't be the ones who are telling you what to do. That They don't know what they're doing that we know what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And then you fast forward to some of the truly obnoxious comments that President Obama made, like, yeah, the doctor cut off your leg for $50,000, number one. That's nowhere near what one gets paid for doing that and how shocking that that utterance would even come out of somebody's mouth. 
or take your tonsils out if you don't need it. And I'm sure you as an ENT person would just cringe <laughs> the thought of subjecting someone to the horrors of anesthesia <laughs> for a few bucks. Exactly. Uh, yeah, I was, a little, I was appalled, to put it mildly. And so we know that that's outrageous. But that kind of hyperbole sticks in people's minds, and they might not even remember what the exact comment was. And there was something that uh, a child psychologist once said, that your children will not remember exactly what you said to them, but they will remember how you made them feel. And this is one of those situations. We, as the people listening to all this stuff, may not remember the exact words, but the feeling is, oh, well, doctors don't know anything about medicine and they don't know anything about the system. So the PhD from MIT knows about the system and then he'll get some minions to just do whatever he says to do. And so the first step is stripping doctors of any respect that they might give, and then any autonomy that they might have to make decisions. I think that's really well said. And if you look at, if you do the overview, you know, the flyover on this, it's still the same thing. It's about getting people to give up their money so the government can control it, the regulation, etc., and dispense it the way they see fit. It's not about health care. It's not about health. It's about control. I've said this for years now. I think I started saying this about six or seven years ago. And it's now and come to fruition. Right. <laughs> and, and that's what these, the various little tricks of the trade are done to exert control and have you lose it bit by bit by bit. One of the things, uh, I'm writing a new article, and one of the things that got me started again on my anti-government rant was California has a bill on Governor Brown's desk for restaurants. This will apply to all restaurants that they can't have little kitty meals that contain any drink in it other than water, which <laughs> we still don't have to pay for, or milk or some variation thereof, rice milk, almond milk, soy milk, whatever. And it cannot have any soda or juice or anything like that as part of the whatever their generic Happy Meal is. Like, okay, fine, somebody's thinking. Number one, a lot of people don't even know about it. And then number two, it's like, yeah, kids are getting fat, and, you know, whatever. And it's like, no, they are telling restaurants what they can do and what they can serve. That's what parents are for. Exactly. The parents can buy the food for the kids and they can say they want the child's meal and my kids can have a glass of water. You don't need Governor Jerry Brown telling you what your child can drink with their meal at a restaurant. But it kind of just slips in and the next thing you know, you've acquiesced to it because it seems like it has a good purpose. Yeah. Yeah, we don't want fat kids and blah, blah, blah. But then that primes the pump for what's the next step. 
Will it be adult meals? Who knows? I, I'm sure it would be. Well, you know, the, the, the foot in the door is the same mantra. It's for the kids. They do that for everything. I mean, so everybody, and, you know, everybody's got a soft spot. They want the children to be healthy. They, they get you on your, by, by your emotions and by your decency. And then they flip the script, and it's all about them controlling your, what you say, what you do how you move, how you interact. I mean, if they had their choice in California, no one would be driving a car. They'd be in a, some sort of automated car, right? They wouldn't be able to use, well, I don't think they can use any straws now, right? That's gone. <laughs> <laughs> I think you get, you, you get a fine or you go to jail. I can't remember which one. Something crazed. There's one state. I don't remember which one it is. I want to, I think it's New Hampshire. I'm, I'm sorry. Jar blank. But they're going to now arrest you for cursing. This is where it's coming to. I mean, it's like you're in a box. Just shut up and do it. Just obey. Just shut up and obey. And when mm -hmm. you get sick, go into the system so we can get just enough money out of you before we put you in a hospice. Who wants to live like that? And the people who think that this is a good thing, either they've never been sick or they, or they could care less about people. You know, and if you really want to be honest... They really would like to see the seniors just go away somewhere because they're sucking up resources. I mean, you're in on the side of the medical education system. You see these these medical students and residents still, correct? Oh, not anymore. Oh, not anymore. Well, uh -huh. somebody's telling me that. Well, I think this is an education issue. I don't care if it's mm -hmm. general, public school. I think the medical schools have gone the same way. These people coming out, these millennial doctors are for single payer. I do think that that's the case. And I've had people on the show who who do the um, the Benjamin Rush Institute, and I've mm. spoken to those students. They actually have to go undercover and not say anything about it because they'll be browbeaten by their their uh, classmates. So that's true. <laughs> it's and, sick. Well, and and what you say, and part of the problem is no one wants to be thought of as a bad person. Mm -hmm. We'd all like to think that we're good moral people. And so they knew how to frame the argument as morality. So by definition, you're evil if you do not want single payer. And there's no option. And one of the big lies is they've equated the term single payer with universal health care. They're not the same thing. There's many ways to get health care for a lot of people. Uh, it doesn't have to just be single government payer. And in other countries, there are other ways. But nobody wants to tell you that. Mm -hmm. And fortunately, they've stopped trying to compare us to Sweden or somewhere. <laughs> I think they figured it out. You can't compare us to Japan. These are very homogeneous societies. And don't have some of the social problems we have here. Uh, so, no, you can't compare countries. You have to come up with a system that works with the personality of your country and works with what your population is. And, yes, we need to work on things, but by just immediately leaping, oh, let's, let's let the government take care of it. They just take care of everything. We had pollution and they lowered the speed limit, and they did this and did that, and so they'll be able to take care of it. And because most people aren't sick, they don't realize the danger 
until it's too late when they are sick. And like you say, one of my pet peeves is hospice has become the first line of treatment. Exactly. I mean, that's a shocking statement. Nobody, you know, who's not in the healthcare system would actually believe that. But you're sitting there, and I'm sitting here to tell the listeners it's happening every day. I've seen 20 and 30-year-olds in hospice with non-life-threatening illnesses. It's, it's such an industry now that people are being discharged from hospice because they're not dying. Have you heard that? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> what is up with that? You shouldn't be in there in the first place. I mean, that's what that means, right? Well... Hey, it's the way it's paid for. And exactly. There was just, a, fortunately, and again, I don't know if anything's going to be done about it, the Office of Inspector General did a review of the hospices that take Medicare money because Medicare gives a flat rate. I believe it's $174 a day, no matter what the hospice does. Now, Supposedly, they're supposed to, if you're at home, they're supposed to, the nurse is supposed to come in a couple times a week, and the nurse's aide's supposed to come in another couple times a week, and the doctor once every couple of weeks. So there's supposed to be kind of rules for how often people come visit you. And they found out that some people literally were never visited. So they're collecting their money just a flat rate and doing absolutely nothing for these folks. Some folks were not getting any pain meds. So, and, and the way the system's set up, of course it's right for people who are going to try to scam the system. You can just, this is part of the problem of a big government running something. You can't keep tabs on it. And people don't know where to turn to. When people have a problem, who do you call? Do you call one of these numbers that never answer the phone or they put you on hold or they say they'll call you back and they never call you back? And this is why people have to think small. Think about small businesses you go to it, routinely, you know, get your hair done or get your nails done or something, how easy it is to pick up the phone, call the person, get an appointment, and if there's a problem, you can quickly call and cancel. If there's a problem when you're there, you can get it fixed right when you're there. You can't do that with a big bureaucracy. And we Americans are not very patient people. We like what we want, and we want it now. And... I really don't think having health care by the big boys will work and people will be, will be very dissatisfied. But by then, the system will change so much that there won't be any going back. There won't be physicians and everybody will be used to seeing the nurse practitioner or the PA and you will be vilified by the people in the system if you say, well, I want to see a doctor. And they'll say, this is, this is who you get. And if they discover some big problem, then you'll be referred to the doctor. And I'm thinking, well, if they need to refer you for a big problem, then they might not find that big problem. <laughs> or until it's too late. And, you know, if you really want to go again, look at the overview where this is moving, they're going to get rid of the nurse practitioners and physician assistants and replace it with robots and Watson. That's really what they want to do. 
then you'll have algorithm, seriously algorithm-driven healthcare. I mean, they're trying to tell us now that robots are better than eye doctors at finding, you know, eye issues. You know, they're trying to really hurt us down the path of robots are better than humans. We should want to, you know, robots making hamburgers, etc. You got robots for sex. You got everything. Humans are just superfluous and expendable and flawed. And they shouldn't even be in a system. They should just be somewhere getting a universal income out of the equation. <laughs> On that note, I'll let you think about that. Let's take a break. You're listening to Medicine on Call. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare. But for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose. And with a maximum of $500 out of pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. Welcome back to Medicine on Call. Uh, you know, before the, the break, I, brought, I put a lot of stuff out there. And I honestly think it's really the direction our healthcare system is going. I mean, from your perspective, we talked about the legislative aspect of this. What about the physician side of this? I mean, it's all about, to me, and you, I'm sure, is the independent doctors. I had a, a lunch a couple days ago, and I was sitting around the table with these two gentlemen, and they talked about how one of them went to the ER and how much money, $3,000, and they didn't do anything. And I said, you know, if you had spent, if you had told them you, you were paying cash, you would have paid a fraction of that. And then he countered with, well, I have insurance, and I, you know, I got the bill, and insurance took off like $1,200. I thought that was a great deal. I'm like, it's not a great deal. It's artificially, it's an artificial number. How do we get doctors to get involved with our patients to let them know you're being scammed. Part of the problem is, and, and it, it, it's become a chicken and egg problem, that if you have doctors that are in a system and their practice, what is it now, up to about 50, 60% of practices have been purchased by larger systems. The larger system is doing all that billing. so. It's taken the physician out of the equation, and they're just busy there acting like a drone, seeing patient after patient after patient. And so they're not even thinking about that. And you said something that was very telling when you were talking about the medical students, that if the medical students are being told, when you get out, go work for a big system, mm -hmm. then they don't even have 
any other option in their brain. They just don't know unless they had a family member who was a private practitioner. And so they have something to compare to and would be able to discuss these differences with patients. But some of the, some of the young folks don't even know the difference. And those folks who are in private practice and have patients, you, it's almost like you have to become a salesman and doctors are terrible salesmen, but you have to tell your patient, tell somebody else what the difference is when you go to a private practitioner, you go to a cash practice. And I, I think most doctors really need to have the numbers in front of them. Mm-hmm. And it would be nice if we could come up with a little card. I mean, I've written some numbers and some articles of what you could save by having a catastrophic health plan and paying cash over the years. You And this is something that's been done by accountants and actuarial tables and everything else that if you saved your health care money in a health savings account, which is tax-free, you could have $300,000 by the time you're 60. And the number that they throw out there is people on Medicare uh, have about $250,000 of health bills. Well, I kind of don't believe that high a number. Most, a lot of people just get old and die. and. They don't have surgery, they don't have cancer, and don't get any treatments at all. I mean, so I, it's, it's hard to know where, where all this money is. Yes, there are some people who have chronic diseases, and that chews up a lot of money. Mm-hmm. But um, for the most part, most people just get old and die. And so they don't spend all that money. And one of the things people really need to know, and this is, to me, one of the big social security scams, is that your social security, if you don't take it, it doesn't go to your family. You put all that money into it, but it just goes back to the government. If you save money yourself, if you die, it goes to whoever you want it to go to. And... That's the positive thing about health savings accounts. It's your money that if you never use it, you can give it to your kids or your spouse or whomever. And this is, this is kind of the key of taking care of things yourself. It's yours. And you end up, once they tax you for these programs that the government is giving, quote-unquote, to you. The extra amount you paid in taxes, if you'd had it in your pocket, where you were free to do what you wanted with it, it, people need to realize that. You want the money in your own pocket. You want to do with it what you want. If you want to go to a real doctor, you can go to a real doctor. You're not shuffled and herded over into where they want you to go because they believe it's the cheapest way out. And you always have to worry. Yes, we're worried about costs, but we're talking about true costs Mm -hmm. where you get the base cost of something down, where something isn't overly marked up, not the amount of money that some industry spends. And that's two different things. 
And so people need to be made aware of that difference and be made aware that you're not getting anything for free and that in the end, you'd rather have the money in your own pocket and you can do what you want with it. I, you know, I, I couldn't have said it better. I mean, this is the transition, I think, that they're trying, social transition they're trying to make in society. You know, the last administration, what was it, 40 million people were on some sort of government assistance. I think that number has still not come down. From the millennial standpoint, over 50%, I think, are still taking government monies of some sort. Once you're in that system, the mindset changes. You're, I think you're more likely to say, the system, I need to figure out how I can get more as opposed to I want to get my own. It's not the same. I think the mindset completely changes. And what you just described, which is self, self-reliance, being able to control your own destiny, being able to pass wealth to your next generation, the system that we're moving towards that they'd like us to go to, that doesn't exist. Socialism, for example, you don't pass anything to your loved ones. You don't have wealth to pass. Do people actually really think it's a good thing? You know, is it all oh, just about you and, and the, and but the it's current? Because each generation is supposed to be a blank slate, oh. and everyone is supposed to start from scratch. When <laughs> I just think that it's it's so outrageous. It's it's not even human nature. Human nature makes us want to care for our own, our loved ones, and do for them. I mean, that's why we give birthday cards and birthday parties. You want to do for do for your people. And to basically take that away, my goodness. And even if it's, if it's not money, mementos, when someone passes away, gee, you have a cherished thing that belonged to that person. Mm-hmm. And that's just human nature. You want a connection to the generation. Sometimes it's money, sometimes it's not. And it's never going to get rid of, if if they think it's going to get rid of people like John Paul Getty or, you know, somebody with megabucks like that. It's not. So who do you hurt? Again, the middle class. Exactly. Just trying to give their kid a little leg up so they can buy a house or or, you know, have a college, give some extra college money for their grandkids, whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, those are the people it hurts. The super rich are never hurt by these rules. They're so far out of the realm that it doesn't even matter whatever rule they pass. It's true. And they help, you know, pay for the lobbyists to make the rules <laughs> that, that nothing changes. I mean, if Warren Buffett can crow about, I'm, I may pay less taxes than my secretary, then you have to really think about, do they really have your interest at heart? Do you really think that doubling down on the current system is going to help you, you know, live a better life? Or are you still going to be working, if you do work, three to four jobs just to make the ends meet? not be able to afford to send your kid to college. I mean, thirty, fifty thousand $50,000 for college. When I went to college, it was $11,000 for the tuition. Mm-hmm. You know, it's Princeton. It wasn't, you know, thousands of dollars. Now we're talking 50, 60. It's like a medical school type of, uh, type of fee for, for college. And you end up not getting a degree that's going to help you make the money back. I have to ask you, did you hear about the one where... 
they won't have finance colleges. Some colleges are now giving financial aid. You pay after you graduate. So when you get your job, then they take their money. Talk about serfdom. I'm just working for, uh, for the college. Are you serious? What happens if you don't get a job? Do you still have to pay it? Oh, my goodness. I know. It's Well, that, sick. that makes sure that you'll enroll in women and gender studies <laughs> where you won't get a job and not do engineering. I, You know, when I look at some of these majors that they have now, none of them are designed to get a job. And yes, that's fine to learn about all these things, but if you think you're going to be a professional women and gender discusser, <laughs> there's, there's not that many teaching jobs out there. And that's about all you could be is be a graduate level teacher with a degree in this, and then you have to go get a job. And then what's the job? Well, you can be a social worker, but other than that, and, and that's the other thing, you look at these jobs, they have to create work. So if, if all you can be is a social worker, then we better have some social programs so we can <laughs> hire all these social workers. I mean, it's just silly. Yeah. It would be great to have life without social workers and that you have a small amount that have to take care of child abuse and elder abuse, but everybody else is out there working. I realize that's a lofty goal, but our unemployment's getting less and less. It is possible to have people other than those who are incapable of doing it out there having a job. And uh, but so I think social work creates its own customers, right? By having social programs, and all these college majors aren't directed toward science and things that. Um, would actually be useful, and it, it, it's kind of sad, but college tuition and, and economists say this, it's not just me, mm -hmm. one of the reasons it has gone up is because you have student loan money to pay for it. Well, it's the government involved again. As soon as they get involved, everything becomes more expensive because it's someone else's money. That's right. And now, and what, again, people don't realize the damage that they do in Congress. I mean, I'm sure people don't realize that part of the Affordable Care Act was also uh, higher education. And yeah. one of the things they did was convert the student loans to governments running them rather than private banks. I, you know... Part of the Affordable Care Act, what did that have to do with health care? That's how they do these things and these bills. Mm -hmm. They and, just stick it uh, in. Yeah, they just stick it in. And everybody's going on and on about the Affordable Care Act and health care. But meanwhile, they turn the educational system, the higher educational system on its head and make it where, okay, we'll just give you all these loans. We'll forgive them after 20 years, even though you have it hanging over your head for 20 years. We'll forgive it after 20 years. And then the smart people think, well, if they're going to forgive it after 20 years, why should I pay it at all? <laughs> you know, it's self-fulfilling prophecy. I mean, these, I don't know. Let's take a small break and come back. I guess it's just, I'm speechless. You're listening to Medicine on Call.
Welcome back to Medicine on Call. Once again, Dr. Singleton, I just love when you come on because it sounds, we just have this stream of con- consciousness conversation and it just, all the dots just seem to connect and it just everything makes sense when we speak. You know, we, I think we did a good job this morning of laying out this bigger picture of the problem. What, what can people do now? I mean, the election's coming. This is an existential election. If the Congress changes, we're more likely to see a reversal of, you know, I would think the the, the Trump plan of the catastrophic the catastrophic plans have started to mushroom since they changed uh, some of the uh, some of the law. So people no longer have a mandate; they no longer have to buy something that they can't afford. Have you seen an increase in the number of plans that give you just bare bones what you want, cafeteria style? Oh. Definitely. I mean, already, and this whole concept of association plans where groups of people can get together and make a plan, and that way it doesn't have to have all the mandates, these, they call them 10 essential benefits, but when you map it out, it really is about 22 things that all insurance has to cover. And of course, that uh, 35-year-old single gay male really needs that maternity insurance, doesn't he? <laughs> and, you know, that's what everybody's paying for. Mm-hmm. Or the 50-year-old female who's not going to get pregnant, uh, why does she need maternity insurance? Yet the insurance has to cover that. So being able to have insurance products that don't have to cover these items would go away and we'd be back. And every... the Everyone's lamenting, oh, the policies don't cover those 10 essential benefits. Well, guess what? Everybody doesn't need the 10 essential benefits. Exactly. And they're just something to boost up the price. And again, there are some people that need it, but before all this came about, there used to be tons of insurance products and people could choose from what they wanted. Then as it's gotten funneled down, and as you mentioned, we're down to about four major insurance companies. You know, back in the 60s, there were 863 companies that offered health insurance. Wow. (laughs) That's amazing. Not now. I know. And everybody knows that choice and competition lowers price. It's, It's been that way for years. Competition lowers price. But and it makes it better. It makes the product better. When the better. government is involved because no one's competing with them, they don't care about price. It's not the congressperson's money. Mm-hmm. It's yours and mine. So they don't care. Well, you know, and it's... that's what's so sad. And as people, I just think we have to call their office. Even though it's useless where I am, I have a very radical congressperson, you still have to call them mm-hmm. and lodge your opinion and ask them, well, I don't know anything about X. And in our case, we tend to discuss health care more than other things, that I don't know anything about what's happening with my health care. Have a town hall and make these folks have a public meeting where they have to state what out loud and for the record what their opinion is on something 
because that's something they're very good at is never really giving a straight answer. That's true. Yeah, that way, again, just like this congressional health care bill is full of uh, a lot of nice wishes and all this sort of thing, but no facts, no numbers, and that's how they talk to people. Well, we're not, and that's why I say, well, Mr. Congressman, how much is this going to cost? Oh, well, uh, we, the CBO hasn't scored it yet. Well, tell me what, what you think for, as a congressperson. You've been there a while. You've seen bills go across your desk. You've read a lot of this legislation, haven't you? Uh, yeah, they don't read it. Give me some ideas. They don't read you it. Know? That's the sad part. Well, of course. And the CBO has been wrong multiple times. So why do they even talk about the CBO since it's never right on things? That's right. And, but it's... You have to pin them down. Yeah, you do. Hold them accountable. You know, I mean, it, this is something that we, if you don't do something, you know, was it silence is complicit in this, in, in this regard. You can't sit here as we're talking about this for years now and think that if you keep sitting on the sideline, not making a conscious choice to take your power back, I mean, there's multiple ways. Find an independent doctor, go to direct primary care, save your own money and do your own thing. You know, these are all the ways that you can, you know, get out of the system and stop paying for it. They only understand money. They only understand your vote. If you don't say anything, you just let it go, then they're just going to keep doing what they're doing, aren't they? That's absolutely right. And I just think... Even, there's some things, yes, they can't control. They're in a body of 435 people. But you can make them go on the record. So one of the best things that's happened now are these cell phone videos. Granted, we never see the whole thing, but the concept of having videos where you can say, oh, well, this isn't what you said mm -hmm. last year. Here's <laughs> what you said. I love it. Why didn't you do it? And then it would force them to say, oh, well, as they always do, oh, so-and-so-and-so-and-so, the other side, uh, uh, you know, did blah, blah, blah. And uh, I think we can't be afraid to say, well, you're the person in Congress, why don't you speak up? I haven't heard you speak up on this issue. Is this issue important to you? And then it forces them to say, well, no, it's not important <laughs> to me. <laughs> so make them come out of their uh, their holes and be into the light. That's the only way it gets like antiseptic. In the next couple of minutes we have left, how can people reach you? And how can they, as, as even if you're not a doctor, you can still join AAPS, can't you? Yes, you can, and completely free, but you can get on the email list and receive newsletters, and we don't bury people in a bunch of fake emails, just uh, <laughs> some action alerts. And one of the things we do at AAPS is send out action alerts when new legislation is coming up that asks for comments and asks for people's opinion and um, when they're writing these regulations. And you can voice your opinion. It's very easy. Put a link, and it takes you right where you can just type in, I think this is terrible, or whatever. And the more opinions about something, 
the better. And there are these mechanisms. Unfortunately, most people don't use them, and that's one of the things we try to do at AAPS is, is get something out there to help people get involved with the government and try to exert whatever pressure they can because sometimes it works. Believe it or not, sometimes it works. And uh, once AAPS was really against a regulation that was coming out, and indeed, ultimately, our comment by name was used in the Federal Register saying what a strong comment it was, and they decided not to do that portion of the regulation. So it can it can work. So go to aapsonline.org, and uh, there's a little thing you can click for patients or to join. And if you aren't a physician, like say, it's free of charge, and just get some interesting emails and articles. And I write legislative updates every couple of months and try to put out all the health care laws that are being proposed. And fortunately, most of the pie in the sky laws never get anywhere. It's just Congress people and senators doing something oh, to get there. Dr. Singleton, I got to cut you off, but I want to have but, you back as usual. You were awesome. Thank you so much for coming on today. Oh, well, thank you for having me. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to Medicine on Call. Revolutionary talk for revolutionary times. Promoting peace, liberty, and prosperity around the clock. LibertyTalk.fm.